0: who get it done. Welcome to the Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio, in partnership with iHeartRadio.
2: It is the single biggest kept secret. It's a straight male's desire for trans women. And because this happenings in the dark allow the general public to continue assuming that only gay men would like a trans woman, that this giant misconception is just allowed to continue to, to fester and we all fall victim to it. So what's it going to take to change that? That's the question I always have.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Laverne Cox Show. Now, I wanted to have a series of conversations about dating and some of its challenges for very personal reasons. Finding love has been a really challenging part of my life for my entire adult life. Part of it is because I'm really picky <laughs> and I don't feel a genuine connection to a lot of people. But dating is also challenging for many of us for any number of reasons. But I'm keenly aware that the challenges are different for black women, for women over 40, and for trans women, all categories I currently inhabit. So today, I wanna focus on the challenges of dating as a trans woman. This is something I talked to my trans girlfriends about all the time but today i wanted to chat with someone who i know will make me think differently about this and hopefully will give you a lot to think about as well her name is jen richards jen is a trans woman and she is so smart and thoughtful and always makes me think about various subjects in ways i hadn't before Jen Richards is an actress, writer, and producer. You might know her from her Emmy-nominated short series, Her Story, which is absolutely brilliant. You must watch it if you haven't. She has received critical acclaim for her acting work in the Netflix revival of Tales from the City. You can also see her in the HBO series, Mrs. Fletcher, and in the Netflix documentary, Disclosure, which I happen to have executive produced. She is currently a regular on the thriller crime drama, Clarice on CBS. Please enjoy my conversation with Jen Richards. Hello, Jen Richards, and welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, girl? Things have been good and they're only getting better, which is a nice feeling. Oh, exciting. That is so exciting. So, I am doing a series where I look at dating, love, and relationships from different lenses. And when I thought about having a conversation about dating as a trans woman, I knew I wanted to talk to you for a lot of different reasons but I want to start with a moment from Disclosure. For those listeners who don't know, Disclosure is a documentary I executive produced that is available on Netflix that looks at the history of trans representation on screen and Jen is interviewed in that documentary and there's a moment in Disclosure when Jen is reacting to a scene from the E! uh, reality series I Am Kate and A dad is in a support group for parents of trans kids. The dad says in the group, if you have a transgender kid, you are living with a unicorn, an amazing human being, to be next to someone so brave, so cool, so close to themselves. Avery was on point from age two, the father says, and Avery is their trans kid. And then Jen says, in reaction to that, I've never seen myself the way that father saw his own child. I've never looked at myself with the kind of love, respect, and awe that father had for his own child. No one looked at me that way. How could I look at me that way? I had to see it. And now that I have, I want that. The vulnerability of that moment is so beautiful and makes me cry every time. Because for me, that's just like what everybody wants. That's what every human being wants. That's like the human experience. And... I was prepping for this and I saw on Instagram that you're now engaged. I am. So can I glean now that you have had that or you're experiencing like being looked at and seen that way? Is that, talk to me, Jen Richards.
2: <laughs> profoundly so, profoundly so. And it is more wonderful and deeply transformative than I could have possibly anticipated. Mm. And there's an interesting fun coincidence in that, the day that my now fiancé first told me that she loved me was a couple of hours after we saw the very first screening of Disclosure.
0: Oh, my God. That is really, for me, the crux of it. I think that sense of... Being deeply seen and known and loved as our authentic self is what we all want. And I think that is why I wanted to have this series about love. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you specifically, not just because you're brilliant, but because you've dated men and you've dated women in the past.
2: I used to joke that because I was bisexual as a boy and dated gay men and straight women Mm -hmm. and have stayed bisexual as a trans woman and have dated lesbians and straight men and have also dated non-binary and trans people along the way that I've hit the LGBTQ bingo card. (laughs) I've been every letter and I've had every possible combination of relationship.
1: (laughs) Mm.
0: I want to talk about the differences for you and your own experiences dating men, dating women, dating other trans folks. But I just want to get into how did you meet your fiance? Do you want to share it with us a little bit? Because I think we all want to know how this happens and and we want to celebrate this love with you.
2: I mean, I'm always excited to share our story, and I'm still very much in the the throes of it. We met through a a dating app. It's a slightly unusual one called Lex, which came out. It was originally an Instagram account. And what it was is that people posted old school personals. Mm. So just like in the newspapers, you'd have a little headline and maybe 10 sentences of text, like who you are and what you're in search of. There was no pictures. There was no links to social media or anything. It was just very, very simple. And I had tried all the other dating apps before with, with, you know, little to no success is is an understatement. And I like the simplicity of of this ad.
0: So there's no photos on it? It's old school?
2: Yep. Just a personal. Wow. There is an option in a post where you can link to your Instagram if you want to. I did not do that. Uh, And the larger context of this is that I had stopped dating for a little over three years and hadn't been in a serious relationship for almost eight. Why did you stop dating? It was a number of reasons. I, Without revealing too much, I'll say that I'd gotten into some self-destructive habits and then it finally confronted those and gone through a healing process. And in that space, felt like I had to focus on that kind of internal work. Mm. Then after a while, just the fear set in. Uh, and i didn't know how to date or have sex without the crutches that i was accustomed to yeah and so it it took a while but there was also this additional justification that I didn't really have steady income. I was living in people's guest rooms and couches in LA for three years. All my stuff was in storage. It's not a great condition under which to date. And then when I finally, you know, found some success and got my own place and got out of debt, it was like, okay, this is—you've got no excuses. So now it's time to start dating. Mm-hmm. So I posted this ad just as a let's see what happens. And, and got some nice responses, including one from this woman who lived in, in Phoenix, which I ignored because one of the rules for myself is I'm not dating people that live out of state. So I ignored her message. But she kept on, in a gentle way, kept following up. And around that same time, I, I was back in therapy, specifically with the goal of wanting to become okay with dating again. And on Friday morning, my therapist said, do you even want Do you want to be partner? Do you want to be married? Do you want to have a long-term relationship? And I answered quite honestly that I don't know because I can't visualize that person to then make the judgment. I can't imagine a person who would want to spend the rest of their life with me, like wholly and completely. Like I, it's beyond my imaginative capacity. So I can't even picture
0: it to then say, do I want this picture or not? Can I pause you there? Just I, You can't imagine a person wanting to spend the rest of their life with you. Can you... What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping we could just skate by that, Lord. Because <laughs> I feel like that's related to what you said in the disclosure documentary that you hadn't seen. Yes. Like RuPaul says, how are you going to love somebody else if you don't love yourself? That whole piece and Brene Brown's definition of love is the same. We can only love others as much as we love ourselves. Do you think that's what that was about? Or. It's certainly wrapped up in that. Mm-hmm. And I think transness is a big part of it as
2: well. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to date as a trans woman. And there are very few models for what a healthy relationship looks like with a trans person involved. I I hadn't seen it. And I can think of one friend who has been in a steady relationship the whole time that I've known her, one trans woman. That's Mm. it. A lot of trans men, but, but not trans women. So I just didn't see how it could work. Uh, yeah. and that's built on top of a kind of bedrock of of shame and self hatred that I think comes with being trans for mm-hmm. all the ways that we're we're reflected back as monstrous and abject. Uh you combine that image with with the lack of positive role models and then built on the kinds of, of shame and self-consciousness that comes, I think, with just being a human and like even pre-transition, just as a young person who was still figuring themselves out and was closeted trans and all those edifices that we built up in our mind to To prove to ourselves we're unworthy, uh, are hard to break down, and mm-hmm. it takes a, a lot of effort. So I felt unlovable was was the bottom line of that, mm-hmm. and so I, I told my therapist this and she said, "Okay, we're gonna let's work on that." So every single morning, first thing, I sit down with my tea and write out three pages longhand, which comes out of Julia Cameron's uh, "The artist Way," and I work out a lot of my ideas and issues on the page. And so the next morning, and oddly enough, this was the first time I'd ever done this, I said. If there were a person out there, like I'm going to bracket off the, this assumption that I've carried so far that there is no such person, but if there were, if there were a person who could love me, what kinds of qualities would I want in a partner? And I, I wrote them out. was very specific. And then I think it was about five hours later, Becca and I started messaging back and forth on the app. And she turned out to be literally every single thing I said I wanted on that journal mm. page. Wow. It's almost as if like I just, the universe is just waiting for me to show up to say, yeah, okay, I'm ready. I'm worthy. Like, okay, good. We've got somebody
0: for you. (laughs) We're just waiting for you. I think I was thinking too, that when you declare that you want it to, it felt like this statement of intention that very much went out into the universe. Right. And a really beautiful, (laughs) specific way. I think there's this, the piece of like personal responsibility. What's my part in it? What can I control, right? My perception and my behavior. And then there's systemic things. And so I love that there's the space of manifesting. Before I met my most recent ex, I made a list of all the qualities I wanted a man. And when I met my last boyfriend, he had all those qualities as well. We're no longer together. so. <laughs> but still, and- he was the right person at the right time. And he had what you needed in that moment. Absolutely. And I think there was the piece of being ready. And so I think that Because I think for trans folks, of all trans men, trans women, non-binary people, then probably anyone who's marginalized, believing that you're worthy of the love. Because for me in my last relationship at the beginning of it, when we were getting serious and he was just there and present and amazing, I just couldn't believe that it was real because I had never experienced it before. I had a lot of attachment issues. I was just like, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And he kept through his actions, assuring me that he wasn't going anywhere, that he was indeed all in. And I had done enough work on myself in therapy and other practices to be able to sit with the discomfort of like, oh my God, this is real. Because it was the kind of, there was something excruciating about it. it, Love is wonderful, but in the beginning, I was just like, oh my God, this feels, it felt awful. Because I think because of the trauma, because of the shame, because there's a part of me that still felt like I was unworthy, but enough of me felt like I was worthy of it and deserved to receive the love that I was able to be present for it and to receive it. Have you felt throughout your process with your fiancé that you had done enough work or is are you in process with being able to fully receive the love? Because it's a gift, but if we don't feel worthy of it, we can't receive it. Where are you with all that?
2: I, I don't know how much of it is the work that I had put in up until that point and how much is what's unique about my dynamic with Becca and what's unique about her as a partner. But yeah, it, it quickly wasn't an issue. I think once, you know, within the first month, once we got over the whole, do you like me as much as I like you? Is this moving forward? Is this what we both want? We were both just all in. It was the end of our second date. I wrote in my journal that morning as she left, she was going back to, to Arizona. I'm like, this is it. I'm done. This is my person and I'm all in. And I haven't had a single wavering doubt since then. And we've been together 24-7, pulled up in a, a house together during the lockdown. And I still love her more every day. And I, I don't think that's ever going to change. Maybe particularly as a writer, I have a a kind of acute sense for and an aversion to any kind of like cliches and and tropes. And certainly, you know, the the kind of great love story, the when you meet someone, you know, when it's the right person, it's all easy and it works out. Like all these tropes I had heard, I I had a like a willing suspension of disbelief. Okay, I've seen it out in the world enough in real life and in storytelling that I believe that's a possibility, but I don't think that's in the cards for me. And that feeling came first, and then there was an intellectual justification of it. You know, like I'm a very, I'm a difficult person. I'm I'm perversely independent. I'm very, very much in my head. I'm extremely busy. I'm trans. I have some other stuff about my, my past that can be difficult for a partner to deal with. I can intellectually justify it all these ways, but ultimately it was really just that feeling of feeling unloved was at the base of it. And so as much as I agree with this whole notion that you do have to love yourself before you can be loved at the same time, having someone see you truly and love you makes it much easier for you to love yourself. I, I don't think it's like an either or. I think it's a, a kind of spiral of the two working together. Because once I met Becca and I started to become loved, and she's a very powerful partner. Like that's for her, it's very much what defines her identity. She likes being a partner. She's always wanted to be a wife. She wants to love someone and support them completely. And to be loved in that way really broke down all my very high walls and then all of a sudden those cliches became just very true and very obvious <laughs> in a way that's i sometimes feel staggeringly basic and in, in, in one sense like, oh, it goes true love uh, and in the sense it really there's a reason it, it, it is one of the most profound aspects of life and the the subject and object of most of our fairy tales and most profound longings it,
0: it's mm. a powerful thing to be loved Absolutely. And I think it heals. I think love is everything. What someone said to me years ago, when I started a specific process of my own healing, they said to me, I'm going to love you till you learn to love yourself. And it wasn't a romantic love. It was a love of healing. And that was part of my process in support groups and with people where I learned that I was lovable, and I learned how to really be intimate with someone. And I think that work we have to do, I think everyone has to do it, but I think for trans people, because we live in a world that is really, really cruel to us and just constantly has to invalidate us and our feelings and who we are, that a lot of us have a lot of trauma, that we have to do really specific work so that we can get to the space of worthiness.
2: A specific example from the the, the first night we we spent together and I have to do all of my normal nighttime routine stuff that I would typically be afraid for anyone else to see. And I had learned this kind of like shame over the work of maintaining femininity. Mm. So, you know, that like, at night having to pull my hair back, take off all my makeup, put on my moisturizer, I wear a nasal strip to breathe at night and all, all these kinds of things that I need in order to be at my best, I was also embarrassed by. And I I'd never wanted a partner to see that. Mm-hmm. And the most I hoped for is maybe I'll meet someone who it doesn't bother them too much. Mm-hmm. So the very first night with, with Becca, I had to start doing this stuff and it was out of necessity. It was because I had to shoot the next morning. So I, I couldn't skip that step and I I was kind of sheepish and and I began my process. And then she sat there and and stared at me. And then she confessed because she's very, she's a a masculine gold star lesbian, like has just always loved feminine women since she was a child. Mm -hmm. She like one of her great joys in life is to watch a woman do that process to put on her makeup or take off her makeup and do her skin. And she was turned on. She was and raptured and enriched by watching me do that process. So at, at best, I had hoped for maybe someone could tolerate this aspect of my life. And instead, I found someone who loves it and who wants that. And that's the kind of possibility. Just like, wow, there's so much more. We can go so much beyond acceptance. And as someone who sees you specifically and loves that about you, and, and then that dynamic just kept repeating on, on different scales for the first few months of our dating.
0: That's absolutely incredible. So you've also dated men. And I really wanted to, and I, I've only dated men, cisgender men. I have no, I'm not any kind of sexually fluid. I'm just strictly. <laughs> I have to, okay, Laverna, yes. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to.
2: Please. Becca made me promise that I would again uh-huh. ask you to please consider becoming a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Lesbians uh-huh. really want you to to be lesbian. <laughs> You have a lot of lesbian fans. I'm aware. There's a lot of, like, kind of masculine-leaning lesbians who love your femininity and glamour, and they just really want you. Aww. And and they would tell you that a a good lesbian can do everything a man can do and more.
0: (laughs) That's incredible. I... Even with this, men, I'm super picky. That's like, oh I mean, I need to like, I need to receive that in this moment. Um, that's beautiful. Well, tell Becca, thank you. And I think, if I were lesbian, I, because men have been very frustrating for me. If I were lesbian or had any kind of tendency in that direction, I think I would go there. Yeah. But it's just not my tea. Oh, if there's any
2: proof that we don't choose our sexuality, it's that all straight women would go lesbian if they had the choice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> This is a good time to take a little break, we'll be right back though. All righty, let's get back to it. So I wanted to talk to you about for you, your experiences dating men, and I don't I, I don't want to generalize, but I find that for those of us who do tra- who are trans women who date men, oh girl, <laughs> it is like really a whole set of issues and struggles and complications that lesbian identified or trans women who date women, just it's not the same experience. What do, you, what do you think, girl? having been-
2: Oh, good Lord, like how do we even begin to unpack that? Yeah. Uh, in my experience, I'd say upwards of 95% of the men I've ever been with are garden variety straight. They've never dated men, they have no interest in men, they like women, and some of those women include trans women. But every single one of them is terrified that other people are going to think that they're gay. Because they're dating a trans woman. You know, for a while, I I went through a very, to put it mildly,
0: promiscuous phase. I slept with. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. No shame here. I've lived. We both lived, honey. Yes. We both lived. I
2: think it's a common thing. I think it's a common thing. I think it was a similar place in your suggestion than it was in mine, which is it's kind of early. It's when you suddenly become attractive for the first time and men want you. And it's so incredibly affirming, particularly when you're still figuring out what kind of woman you are to like have straight men want you is it's really juicy. It has a lot of power and but I can never turn off my kind of intellectual sociological brain and I asked every single man I slept with how you became interested in trans women and what is your interest in trans women and I I learned a lot and I've got a fairly sizable case study what did they say girl
0: (laughs) what did they say what is the like top three things they said because they're saying the same things over and over again I do this too by the way I'm always curious
2: excellent it's so great okay first it's interesting to me that literally all but one man came to trans women in the same way. Half of them that tended to be the older half had met some woman at some point, been attracted to her, flirted with her, whatever, and then found out she was trans. They didn't go through with it then, but then it got stuck in their head and then they later started seeking out trans women. The other half was through pornography because it's so easy to find online porn now. You're in the privacy of your own room. There's no one to judge you. So they start exploring things and that novelty leads them to trans. Then they get fixated and then they seek us out. The one exception, and, and this is why I think this point is interesting. The one exception was this man who just kind of shrugged it off and said I grew up in San Francisco so they were just around. Like to him it was like a redhead or like a you know a fat girl. It was just like it was just another variety of woman that he was accustomed to and so he felt no shame about it. For him it was just very much like eh, they're women I've seen them around it's no big deal. That fascinated me. As far as what they like and it turns out this is my experience with lesbians too so I think it really does say something. The number one thing is it's the femininity a trans woman. It's it's kind of easy to understand because, and frankly, a lot of the men that, that I used to sleep with w- were married, and a lot of them had the same story of when they first got married, their wife was like really feminine and beautiful and wore lingerie and, and was sexy and that was part of their life. And then over time, they became mothers, they became more casual, they became just regular women. <laughs> and these men still craved that femininity and that kind of thrill and the way that it elicits male desire. But also that's been true of the lesbians. Like the lesbians I've dated, all the ones who have been attracted to me and have come on to me tended to be masculine of center and lesbians who like femininity. They crave femininity. That's what they love in a woman. So that's overridingly the major thing that attracts people. Beyond that, there is, and this is where I've been thinking a lot about this, about where you and I are slight outliers amongst our circles Mm -hmm. and that you and I are quite discreet about our bodies and things that we do with them Uh, and i think that might be a generational thing because we're, we're the same age you know we didn't grow up on the internet whereas kids today they post pictures of themselves like whole transition timelines and they're open about everything yeah that's like a horrifying thought to me like i'm very private and so i'm always a little bit hesitant to discuss it but
0: i will say that um I hate talking about this stuff. I really do. I think I know where you're going with this, that a lot of the reasons straight-identified men seek us out are for very specific sexual reasons, for very specific body parts that some trans people have and some trans people don't, and for very specific sexual acts. So it's like, how do we have this conversation about dating, sex, why straight men are into trans women without, I think for me, the issue is not contributing to the further objectification of trans bodies. And I think for me, a sex act is not gendered, and a sex act doesn't like sort of denote someone's sexual orientation. I guess that's a liberal sort of assumption about sex acts. And other people think that a sex act means something very specific about someone, right?
2: It's like you said, it's a physical act. (laughs) It's just
0: bodily pleasure. It doesn't like, what
2: does it matter but these are the same men you'll see on Twitter who say, I won't wash between my cheeks in the shower because it's gay. <laughs> like there's such profound. Oh,
0: that's people. a problem. <laughs>
2: You, you see, see that? right? <laughs> thing. Absolutely. Oh my! I and mean, there's this whole thing on Twitter. This kind of recurring meme of is it gay? Hey guys, is it gay to X, Y, and Z? Is it gay to eat a banana? Is it gay? To-? <laughs> because men are so straight. Men are so terrified of being seen as gay and and less masculine, which it points to a whole bigger issue around misogyny and patriarchy. If a mm-hmm. straight cis man has his straight cis wife put something in his butt, he's somehow gay. The insanity of that on the face of it, (laughs) that like a physical act between a man and a woman can somehow change a person's identity. I think the emphasis that we put on identity, the success of that is fracturing. And I think trans people are part of that fracturing. And then part of the reaction against trans people is because of the fear that comes with that fracturing. Mm. The fact is that sexual orientation as identity is a very new concept. It's maybe less than a 100 years old. For most of human history, people sleep with people. And men sometimes sleep with men and sometimes sleep with women and vice versa. And there was never any sense of, oh, this person is... Gay. It's, they might do a gay thing. Mm-hmm. They might have sex with men, but then marry a woman. It, it wasn't this static identity. Mm-hmm. And I understand, like, I understand that aspect of identity politics. It, it helps us find our community and, and look at these kind of stress points and systemic uh, systems of oppression. But still, our identities aren't that static for the most part. No. And it goes both ways. We're, we're talking about straight men's fear, but I remember once I was with some gay men. And this one guy sheepishly admitted that he is attracted to women and used to date women, but he felt that once he came out as gay, and it became such an important part of his identity in this community, that he had to shut down that part of himself, that he felt like other gay men in his circle wouldn't consider him one of them if he also dated women. We really want to put people in this like very limiting camp, and it affects everyone. <laughs> it prevents us all from having a
0: greater range of, of experiences and ways of loving and being loved. That's so deep. A friend of mine who is who identifies as gay, he's a gay man. I've, I've known this man forever. He sleeps with women as well. And for him... He identifies as gay because ultimately he wants to love another man and be in a loving relationship with another man, but his sexuality is more fluid, and so that's kind of yeah. how he navigates and Then my brother calls himself a practicing homosexual because he prefers the idea of practice <laughs> to orientation, so that there when it comes to sexuality for him, it's not about identity so there's so many different ways of looking at sexuality, and it's complicated, and these conversations have been happening for decades, yes, but a lot of straight-identified men who find themselves attracted to trans women are not engaged in these conversations. But I think a larger conversation around homophobia and, like, that's a really big piece of this whole conversation that we have to have around dating trans folks and, like, homophobia, right? Like, what I realized is that if any man... Dates me, at least publicly, he has to be really comfortable with people assuming he's gay because the womanhood of trans women is often disavowed, is invalidated. And so, because so many people don't think that trans women are women, they assume that the men who date us must be gay, right? For years, I dated a guy who never would have ever claimed me. I thought I was in love with him. And I'm glad I was able to get myself out of that. But there's so many women that I've talked to over the years who've been in situations like that with men that they were in love with who. Would never claim them publicly. And certainly, what I've learned is I have to make different choices, right? Like, what's my part in this? I have to choose different kinds of men, and certain things need to be unacceptable. That's exactly right. I, I think it's a
2: single biggest issue with trans women. I, I think it's exactly the thing that that is the biggest problem with, as I've talked about in disclosure, with casting cis men as trans women. I think it's a thing that underlies the violence uh, against trans women. I mean, to me, I always think about the case of. Mercedes Williamson, who, for, for those who don't know, the short version is, and I'll spare some of the worst details, but this young trans woman was found bludgeoned to death. This young man was quickly caught and he told the police that he had met Mercedes online, didn't know she was trans until they were together, and he put his hand up her skirt. He blacked out, and the next thing he knows, he's standing over her dead body. And that particular narrative, which would be called the trans panic defense, is admissible in many courts, and men have been able to get away with murder just by simply claiming, I didn't know she was trans, and that caused such a crisis in me, I acted out of violence. And with no one... The, you know, the victim can't speak up and say that wasn't the case. And what's unique about Mercedes' case is that pretty soon thereafter, the, the man who killed her actually tearfully confessed, no, that's not that's not the story. In fact, we had been dating for six months. I was very much in love with her, but uh, he was part of a, a a gang, frankly, and the gang was very homophobic. And when one of his friends found out that he was dating a trans woman, There was exactly what you said, this assumption, that means he's gay and we're going to have to hurt him. And rather than face that, he destroyed the thing that created that dissonance in him. He he destroyed Mercedes, this woman he loved, and now profoundly regrets it. And so this is another one of those cases where the guy was straight, but the fear that he was going to be seen as gay and other men's judgment that he was gay for being with a trans woman led him to this incredible violence. And I think we face a kind of mini version of that crisis every time we date. man. That's been my experience.
0: Yeah. But I think what's underneath all this is that men need to get over their homophobia. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Because really... It's like transphobia and homophobia then become so inextricably linked to me. And people are like so terrified that somebody might think that they're gay and like they have shame around that. If you think about that, it's absolutely ridiculous. It really yes. is. But it just, it, it points to a wider
2: social context where, I mean, we're having a crisis of masculinity. Mm-hmm. I, I would say globally, really, but particularly in, in this country. Yeah. I, I mean, Trump is very much an embodiment of this kind of misogynistic, patriarchal reaction against the breaking down of gender norms. And there is a kind of truth in which that so much of our society is built upon this foundational binary of male and female, and knowing who you are and where you belong. It's hard for anyone to figure out who you are and where you belong. And so if society tells you at the very least, no matter what else, like, you're male, and therefore you can do X, Y, and Z, and you should behave A, B, and C, that there's a certain kind of I think for people like you and I, that maybe like is really scary uh, and we want to escape those confines. But I think for average person, that's really comforting to know, okay, this is how I behave. These are the things I'm allowed to do. And the people I date are going to be like this. And those two don't threaten each other. They support each other. Feminine women and masculine men, like I'm going to be the bread owner and you're going to be the emotional and uh, support and the homemaker. Like we all, we know where we stand and that's really comforting. And whereas irony is I think trans people like you and I actually don't threaten that (laughs) uh, in most ways. But I think trans people in general, the idea that you could be born into one side of this and and then move to the other or not fit in or disrupt these kind of power norms is threatening to the entire worldview. And for me, it's the only way to understand why there's such intense vitriol and such an emotional intensity around trans people.
0: I think those ideas certainly exist, but the lived experiences of people's lives throughout history actually always challenged those ideas that like men are supposed to do this women are supposed to do this and i think that is the sort of sad reality i mean what keep has come up a lot on this podcast is like that crisis of masculinity and that this patriarchal sort of embrace of traditional masculinity is actually not really doing men any favors and I think there's a betrayal that happens right especially for white men I think straight white men is that you're supposed to be this and this and this then all of a sudden you don't have a job to take care of your family and you can't provide and all of the things that you were told that you're supposed to be because you're a man you're not able to fulfill and instead of like questioning all those things that they were taught about who they were supposed to be, it's who's to blame for this? Like, who do I lash out at? And I think that explains a lot of the phenomenon of 45, right? I'm going to lash out at trans people. I'm going to lash out at immigrants. I'm going to lash out at, you know, automation and shipping jobs overseas and like all of these things instead of questioning. Some people are questioning those systems, but I think the system of masculinity and patriarchy is one of those things that, I would encourage more straight, identified, cisgender men to be in question of to get to a place of freedom, to get to a more of a, a place of like letting go of those expectations so you can live more authentically. That's something I've been saying for years around gender. But I think that I really believe that when we can let go of the expectations that sort of exist around that stuff, we can just be. I always think about
2: Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth and his kind of discussion of the way that uh, an oppressor becomes oppressed themselves through their act of oppressing. Mm -hmm. You get trapped in your own oppression. They create this kind of framework for what it means to, to have power and be deserving of that power and keeping that power. And then they end up becoming trapped by it in ways that make them really miserable. I mean, Straight white men also die younger and have heart attacks and are depressed and like the suicide rate for white men is like skyrocketing in this country because they've trapped themselves in this box. And I'm glad you brought up race too because there's no way to separate any of this from white supremacy. And I do think Trump's an example of a a man's man, a man who speaks his mind, who says whatever he wants, who. Grabs women by the pussy who wants like a beautiful model for a wife like that is this kind of traditional view of masculinity but we do see it as this kind of universal thing until it's critiqued and then you realize it's a very specific modern white supremacist heteronormative cisnormative <laughs> patriarchal capitalistic view of men and and family and it's it's falling apart at the seams but I think for all those people who have found comfort and security and power in it.
0: they're not going to let it go without a fight. Clearly, the fight is on. And I think the one thing I'll say about 45, I don't like to say their name, but 45, is that all the people that grabbed them by the P word and all of the things, all the really racist things he said during his um, first campaign, people voted for him knowing all of this. And so I don't think people voted for him despite those things. I actually think they voted for him because of those things. Yeah. He was reinforcing these kind of norms that, that they had grown reliant on.
2: And this increasing liberal culture and all of media coming out of New York and L.A. with, you know, so many diverse castes and like gender fluid people is, is really threatening. And to have someone say like, no, that's all sick and toxic. My way is the best way. It's people, a lot of people were relieved and wanted that. You know, this
0: is a slight digression. But in 2016, that was when North Carolina introduced HB2 the bathroom bill. And Loretta Lynch had her brilliant, beautiful press conferencing, we're going to protect trans youth and we're going to stand by you. And that happened that year. And there were so many think yeah. pieces that came out after the election that actually blamed trans people for 45. There were so many people who were like, liberals are embracing transgender people in bathrooms and that's why he won. Um, and it was deep. It was deep sort of being in this space of being sort of blamed for our visibility, us just asking for dignity, um, and not being discriminated against was blamed for this. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. In my other conversations around dating, it's when I've, I've talked about being a feminist it, and the femininity of trans women is it's the number one thing they've said as well. So it's interesting that both our research has given us that finding. But I think what I found for me is that a lot of those men become very disappointed when they see I'm very femme. You know, if you go to my Instagram today, I'm like serving. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm also a feminist and I'm also someone who thinks critically about the world around me. And that is not always compatible with what a lot of these men are looking for when they seek out trans women for a very specific reasons. And so that's been a really interesting rub for me. But then for you, you're a really smart woman. I think that there's the trans piece, there's the fem piece. But then, like, do you find being a really smart, critically thinking trans woman? I don't know if that serves us when it comes to dating men.
2: Oh, No, I mean, and, but that's a common thing for all women, cis and trans, that when you are ambitious, when you're successful, when you're independent, when you're smart, I'm both amazed and embarrassed by how quickly I learned early in my transition when I started dating men to downplay my intelligence and my successes in order to appease a guy's ego. I'll never forget one time in LA, I got picked up by uh, this really cute Lyft driver. I was very attracted to. He was tall. it was gorgeous, and he was kind of bragging on himself about, "Oh, I host an open mic comedy show every once in a while. Oh, there's this one agency that, like, you know, she came to my show once. Like, and he asked me about myself. I'm like, yeah, you know, I." I Got nominated for an Emmy this year and like X, Y, and Z. And I just watched him deflate. Mm. The, this man that I was very attracted to. And at that point, if he had asked me out, I had no problem with where he was at in his career. And I would have gone out with him. But then just to watch him literally shrink when he realized I was so much more successful than him.
0: That's that's frustrating. For, for all women. <laughs> it, that's so deep. And girl, you know, I've experienced that too. But at the same time, we've worked so hard and I've worked so hard and I'm so proud of what I've accomplished. And yeah. I won't dim my light for anyone, for any man. Absolutely not. It's just tragic that we would ever have to. Um, okay. So I just want to run this by you. So I recently met this dude who's in venture capital. He's like 53 years old and we were talking and he's been dating trans women secretly for like 15 years, right? For about 15 years. No one in his life knows. And he said to me that if anyone in his work found out that he was into trans women, it would ruin his career. That it would be used against him and it just because finance is just really conservative. But it's like... It actually is illegal to, you know, discriminate against someone based on their sexual orientation that, like, is constitutionally a thing now? Like, would this person lose their career? Or is it his shame? Is it his shame that he's internalized and is it the story he's told himself? Or would that really happen? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you you have a good point. It's hard to imagine anyone, especially in this day
2: and age, fired for that, both because of the legality, but also because trans people are such a, a prominent part of culture now. And and I do think absolutely the shame is probably the largest piece of it. But I do think it goes back to the way that men police each other's gender and performance of masculinity. So while... Again, and I don't know the workings of a hedge fund, but assuming that maybe they couldn't legally be outright fired because they dated a trans woman, I can see a man fearing that suddenly he wouldn't be invited to the basketball game afterwards, like where a lot of the deals happen and suddenly wouldn't get the best offers. And suddenly, you know, the very thing that actually happens to trans women when they come out on a job, which is they don't get fired, but all of a sudden there are issues with their performance and within a few months they're gone. Mm. I can see that kind of thing maybe happening to Amanda. But also frankly like I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> ultimately like that's their problem and yeah. to choose to not allow yourself a full and transparent life and to pursue the things that you actually love because of fear of the, the toxic judgment of of others.
0: It's tragic I
2: suppose, but really that's on
0: them. <laughs> it's on them but I think uh, trans women are reaping the the sort of consequences of that, right? I guess what's so frustrating is that there's so many men out there who are into us and they're invisible. Oh my God. It's insane. (laughs) It is the single biggest kept secret. It's it's
2: straight males desire for trans women. There was um, a study out a while ago where where some data company, it might've even been Google's dirty thoughts project. Um, but they research porn
0: habits, and then Pornhub also does this. There was a book called "A Billion Wicked Thoughts," so you're thinking yes. of that. Maybe, maybe there's something else. Then did a study on people's search engines.
2: Yes. And then Pornhub also releases data about their audience and who watches what. And trans pornography is typically like in the top five most viewed categories, so it's incredibly popular, like hugely popular. And and this is one from Pornhub that always fascinated me. What they found, and this is according to people who are looking at porn in private in their own home, the men that watch trans porn watch women in general and don't watch gay porn. And the men who watch gay porn don't watch trans women porn. Like e- like even when they're free like of of any judgment, it's consistent. Like <laughs> all of the data shows this.
0: The men who like trans women tend to be straight. Yes. Thank you for remembering that. I haven't thought about that book in forever. And this wasn't like asking people. This was looking at people's search histories, what people are doing in the dark. And that's very, yeah, yeah, that's still in the truth. So
2: all of the anecdotal evidence of trans women, all of the anecdotal, those of us who have gone through promiscuous phases, like you and I know literally hundreds of trans women have dated men. Like we all have hundreds of experiences with men. All of the data shows this. And yet, because men will not be open about it, and because this happenings in the dark allow the general public to continue assuming that only gay men would like a trans woman, that this giant secret, this, this giant misconception is just allowed to continue to, to fester, and we're, we all fall victim
0: to it. So what's it going to take to change that? That's the question I always have. That is, I, what is it going to take? And a lot of the girls I taught to were like, we need a famous macho celebrity to come out and to tell people that he likes trans women. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's it. I think it's a cultural thing. I think, again, it has to be, a, it's a conversation, a bigger conversation around masculinity, homophobia, and destigmatizing and creating new spaces for men to exist in that are beyond what we've seen before. I just remember this, I don't even know how to like process this fully, but it brings me so much joy.
2: When I was um, in New York City filming Mrs. Fletcher, an HBO show, there were two young men, part of the cast. And the two of them, and plus another woman from the set, the, the four of us became a little family for the four months we were shooting in New York. And uh, a friend of mine, a young trans woman, uh, Eve Lindley, who's also a, an actress, really lovely young woman, w- would often hang out with us. And both of the young men, who were both young, straight white guys, confessed to me that they were really attracted to Eve. And I was so fascinated by that. And at one point I just, I just had to know, does it, does it bother you at all that she's trans? Like, would you be embarrassed? Like, how do you feel about that. And both of them, without pause, without self consciousness, no, like there were trans women in my high school. Like for, it was mm. that normalcy thing. Like they had absolutely no issue with their attraction to Eve. It caused absolutely no distress in them. It didn't make them rethink their masculinity or their sexuality in any way, shape, or form. And they just saw this really pretty girl who was trans and it just didn't matter. It was a non issue. That is the future. I do think it's starting to happen
0: with young people. I'm dating younger men so <laughs> you got to go you got to go where it's warm anyway Jen this has been so amazing I know we could talk all day about this and many other issues and we will talk more in the future But it's time to wrap up. And i like to end the podcast with a question that's from my therapy, from the community resiliency model. And it's the idea of both and, that if there's something challenging that's going on in my life, what else is true? What what can I lean into energetically that can reset my nervous system, that can become a resource and could be in a space of both and, right? That's the resilient space. So I want to ask you today, Jen, what else is true for you today? I
2: know I've already talked about it, but I have to return to it because specifically the way that you frame that and the way that the, the what else is true helps us cope or be resilient through the, the difficulties. It's loving and, and being loved by a person, by Becca specifically. It's it just everything else is easier because of that. I care less what other people think. My parameters for what success looks like, for what even being attracted means all of that has shifted because of the undeniable strength and consistency of her love and the way that it follows from the deep and true way that she sees me
0: it's uh (sighs) yeah Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. Yeah. Um.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm crying. I, w- I wish it for you. I wish it for everyone. Mm. I really do.
0: That is absolutely beautiful. Wow. Maybe one of the most beautiful things I've heard in my life.
2: Can I also just say that until I was loved by Becca, what really carried me through life was the sisterhood I feel with other trans women, um, mm. it, it, you among them, the ways in which starting about, I don't know when it was, eight or 10 years ago, all of us came around and just became an active part of each other's lives and made a, a conscious decision to support each other no matter what to applaud each other to lift each other up is one of the greatest gifts in my life and i think is uh, historically relevant and the reason that trans people are so visible today
0: thank you jen Richards, girl <laughs> thank you laverne cox <laughs> oh my god before we go people can watch you and mrs fletcher and in the revival of tales from the city where can people find you online and, and, and...
2: i am smart jen on every social media platform <laughs> so i'm very easy to find i'm most active on twitter probably more than anything else despite the fact that depresses me consistently <laughs> i'm still on twitter a lot uh, but yes i'm smart jen
0: thank you so much jen richard you are a treasure thank you i'm so glad you're feeling that love right now that just makes me so happy work thank you yes I love Jen Richards so much. She's so smart. She always gives me so much to think about. And this thing of being loved and being seen and how healing that is, I am happy to report I'm now experiencing this. Um, I'm in love now. And the beautiful thing about it is that it feels deeply healing. I feel like I all the work that I've done Over my lifetime, all of the therapy I've had, all the healing work I've done has allowed me to be present for this love, has allowed me to be in a space of worthiness to be able to receive this love. And I think really for every trans person out there, particularly for trans women, we have to do the work to to heal ourselves, to address our traumas, to feel that we are worthy of the most divine love that exists out there we have to do that work and I I know from my experience and Jen relate the same thing that the universe begins to conspire when we have done what we need to do to put the you know the energy in place to be able to receive and I know for sure in this moment no matter what happens with this relationship that it is divine that my higher power has brought this man to me to experience this for however long it's meant to be and we are all worthy of connection belonging we are all worthy of love Thank you for listening to The Laverne Cox Show. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. Join me next week for my conversation with relationship expert and psychologist, Dr. Wendy Walsh. She'll explain all my attachment issues and perhaps some of yours too. You must tune in. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Laverne Cox and on Facebook at Laverne Cox for Real. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.